This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. When I was 12 and a half, um, I got a paper round. And you're meant to be 14, but they thought of, they were a bit desperate. So I worked in this paper round, and then I, then all these other paper rounds came on. So I then took all of them. So I had seven paper rounds, and then I subcontracted six of them at 12, 12 and a half. So I've got other people delivering my papers for me. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. Today's very special awesome human is my mate, Stuart Norris. Stuart graduated from Trent Polytechnic in the UK, where he studied business. He's an entrepreneur, business coach, marketing and a business strategy guru, and a committed father to a tribe of six kids. Stuart co-founded Magic Memory, which he took from a humble beginnings of just two blokes with $2 and a disposable camera to having thousands of employees across the world in only 25 years. If you've ever been to a theme park or a tourist attraction anywhere in the world, you've probably had your photo taken at some point by Magic Memories. From a Sydney Opera House to the London Zoo, Stu's leadership and vision have helped countless people to capture their magic memories forever. Following his true entrepreneur spirit, Stu has recently founded Atherton Wells, where he's redefining the recruitment business. Stu, thanks for joining us, buddy. Nice to be here. Thanks for asking me. Mate, this has been a long time coming. Like we tried, we've had so many chances to do this and I'm just very excited that today's the day. Cool. Yeah. By the way, I love to start these podcasts. What's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? I was in uh, a pram and underneath an old fashioned pram that uh, uh, Mary Poppins would have, uh, would, have, would have pushed along. And I, I had a tortoiseshell cat at my feet and I was probably about two or three. What's a tortoiseshell cat? It's a cat that's got um, white cat, brown, ginger cat, black cat. You know, so like a real cat? Like a real cat. Okay, yeah. 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 So I was a little kid in the pram and yeah. I had a cat and, and there there isn't a photo of it. So I must wow. have remembered it. Yeah. And is so the cat that, real? Yeah, yeah. So it was our cat called Fred, which actually was called Frida because tortoiseshells are only female. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so I, I can actually remember. Yeah, for some reason I can remember this cat. My so cat. you reckon that's about two or three? Two or three, yeah. Well, I, got, I, was, I, I, was, I was big to be in a pram, but not, not too big. And where was that? That was in England. In England, yeah. So where were you born? I was born in White Hart Lane, um, which is really? uh, where Tottenham Hotspur play. The, the hospital's not there anymore, but yeah, so actually within the site of uh, Tottenham Football Ground in London. So you don't follow Tottenham now? No, I don't follow Tottenham. No. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and school? Where'd you grow up? Uh, grew up in um, first of all in London, uh, in a place called Southgate, and then we moved to a village called Coney Heath. So I lived on a a girl guide's campsite. So we had my back garden was seven acres of field and five acres of wood. Yeah. And we walked across the farmer's field to the local um, primary school. Awesome. And then when I was uh, 11, I went to the big school in St. Albans. So that's where I went to school. So when did you move to the girl guides? <laughs> my first girl guides, well, every, every weekend <laughs> there was a, a new brownie pack or a girl guide pack. And every every Saturday night, my brother and I came joint first in the fancy dress competition around the <laughs> around the campfire, male. So yeah, so every Saturday that's all. And why did. why was that? Was that your parents? Oh, my or? my my grandmother was the the commissioner of the the girl guide. Okay, in yeah. in the UK, in uh, in London, yeah. Oh wow, yeah, that was pretty cool. So your childhood was uh, was different oh, yeah. to most. 
No, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, you know, sort of yeah, boring middle class, really. It was, it was, it was good. <laughs> so primary school, were you, uh, were you a good kid, bad kid? Were you a jock? Were you a nerd? Uh, I was maths. I, uh, so Nicola Edinburgh and I had a competition to see Who's how... Who's Nicola Edinburgh? She was a girl in my class yeah. when I was six or seven. And she and I were both good at maths and both very competitive. And so we deliberately just did a lot of maths. Uh-huh. So by the time we were in about year, n- we were nine year olds. So three years to go at school, the school had run out of maths books, <laughs> so they had to buy one, and we raced to to finish it. So I was doing sixteen year old maths when I was eleven. So that was my that was it. Just just we did it purely for fun. We didn't know how well we were doing. Oh really? We, we were just having this competition, and the, and the teachers were having to you know, get people to advise them how to teach us. But how basically, they just threw a book at us and we played. How did you uh, did you win? Of course. And are you in contact with this young girl? No, no. I, I when was the last time you spoke to her? Oh, probably at the end of, you know, when she was 11. When you were going, no, 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 I beat you. <laughs> That's right. I'm <laughs> off now. Thank you very much. Uh, it's interesting because my son's like that, but he's a, he's a reader. Yeah. So he's read every single book in the library at uh, his primary school. Brilliant. And uh, the teacher now brings in books from home for him to read. Awesome. Uh, but he's really dirty that uh, he actually doesn't currently hold the record for the amount of book borrowed because the young kid, he's in year six, the young kids in prep get six little readers at once. So that right. time six to his yeah. one. So, is there, And the, the ones that the, uh, that the librarian brings in uh, doesn't count because they're not library books. Yeah, he's a bit devastated. Yeah. But I think it's amazing. So at 11 you're doing 16-year-old maths. Yeah. Teachers have got no idea what's going on. No, no. And where do we go after 11? We go to middle school, is it? No, no. So straight to secondary school. So in England, you can get a, an assisted place. So mm-hmm. the, the, the council pay for – so I went to a private school. Yeah. and But the council paid, so my parents didn't have to pay. So okay. I, I gained a scholarship into the school. Um, and there were 100 kids a year. Um, it was quite it was quite an academic place. So the first first question in, you know, little 11-year-old Stuart was uh, in front of me now. I've got 25 kids. A quarter of you will either go to Oxford or Cambridge. And most of you will go to university. And then if we whiz that forward seven years, out of my year, 42 people either went to Oxford or Cambridge. Oh, really? So it was pretty and accurate. 96 went to further education and the mm. other three went to um, went to the army. So it was a real um, academic school, but good fun at the same time. So when you rock up there at 11 and you're, you're already done maths to your 16, yeah. to the level of 16-year-old, yeah. you then decide, hey, I'm going to go into cruise mode and the next three or four years in math I'll yeah, be I recovered? Did. Yeah, I did. I went into cruise mode. Yeah, so, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I was still... I was still, I was still, you know, I was always winning maths, but um, yeah, it it wasn't, it was, I didn't have Nicola Enver to challenge me. So. so she'd gone somewhere else? She'd gone somewhere else. Well, it's a boys' school only, so. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, because, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? They're always after the challenge. Yeah, it was interesting, well, because uh, throughout my school school career, I, I, I didn't think I was clever. Um, and uh, You're doing 16 year old maths at 11. No, no, yeah, but even so, it's the perceptive. Well, so, well, I was I was surrounded by the bright ones, so so okay. I was just one off, you know. Yeah. So so and, and this it, it that, this has sort of developed my my fishing pond theory, but um, so we I we didn't realise how well we were doing until we got out of that pool. So um, when I went to so I went to do a business degree, and and the universities in in England didn't do um placement degree so i wanted to get into a placement so i, I actually got sponsored by kodak to go and do my business degree in um nottingham in trent polytechnic um and when i went to trent polytechnic every, I, every, I was doing i was surrounded by people who were, who were very you know, who were potentially bright but they just they they hadn't been into the in the environment i've come from okay. so i suddenly realized oh i'm quite good at this you know so it was quite it's interesting. I wasn't to university, you realized I was to university i'm actually i actually 
um, academically, I didn't realize quite how, how good I was, but I mean, not, not to force it down people's throats cause I don't, but it, it's, uh, you know, I've got so many O levels I could sell them. You know, yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. So, so that, that, that's really interesting. So you've gone to the all boys private school. Yeah. So you've come out of the, the original system, gone in there. They're all smart kids. Yeah. And you've just cruised along and, and yes. got on with things. Yeah. Were you playing sport and stuff back then as well? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very good captain of a second or third team. So <laughs> in, I, my, in I, all sports? In all sports, <laughs> in any sport. I'm enthusiastic. I, I, will, you know, I will open with the worst bowler. You know, but, it, but, it, but it's great. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I, I, I was a leader. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I led, led the teams. I, was, I wasn't sporting talented at all. Well, as you see, you see me play golf. So, um, <laughs> But I, I just enjoy I enjoyed the camaraderie of the team. Camaraderie uh, or competition? Camaraderie. Okay. Um, and just well, the idea is together we win. Yeah. So that's um, a team thing. Team thing. So so that was fun. And so yeah, we, you know we we created a culture of shaking each other's hands after an over in cricket because we were still there. We couldn't believe it. Yeah. So, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, allowing one of the, the one of the I mean, I remember I was at school, but one of the, the, the our best fast bowler also had to smoke cigarettes. So, you know, had to sort of put him to third man after his stint so he can slide <laughs> out of a fag with that but make it in a position that the teacher can't see him. And you know, it's all these little It's all the strategies. It's all the, the strategies strategic. of leadership. So yeah, that was pretty that was pretty fun. So yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed that environment. Um I, I did I like school? Yeah, I mean it's okay. I, I um, I've got some good um, friends from school, uh, good contacts, um, but you know it, it was something I, I enjoyed. What I also enjoyed was the idea of being an entrepreneur at school. So was, was that touted back then? Like I always didn't know what I was. Like mm. I always knew everyone used to say, "I oh, get your finger in all these pies, or you do this, or you do that." And then when I realised actually I'm an entrepreneur, I put a word to it. You know what I mean? I put a brand on yeah who we are and what we do. So back then was that was entrepreneur even a thing? No, no, not really. I, um, I just, I just try to work things strategically and partly through leadership. So, um, so my first sort of entrepreneurial business was when I was twelve and a half. Um, I got a paper round, mm-hmm. and you're meant to be fourteen, but they sort of they were a bit desperate. Um, but so I, I worked worked in this paper round, and then I, then all these other paper rounds came on. So I then took all of them. So I had seven paper rounds and then I subcontracted six of them <laughs> at 12 and at a 12, half. 12 and oh, a half. So I've got other people delivering my papers for me. And, and you're making an earn. And making an earn. And particularly on Saturdays, because in those days, the, uh, the Sunday papers were really heavy. So, um, you have to, you have to have a special Saturday rate. So we had a, an extra, extra person just to help out on Saturday. So yeah, so that was, that was at 12. So, and it was just, it, it, it just seemed a natural thing to do. I didn't realize I was doing anything different, but that's, that's the way it was. And your parents, were they um, encouraging of this or did they even know or how'd, how'd, how'd that go? Oh yeah, no, my, well, my, my grandparents are quite interesting. My, so my, my mum's dad was a, uh, the youngest qualified actuary in um, England. Okay. So he qualified. That's where the maths come from. Yeah, that's where the maths <laughs> come from. He, he, he was the... Uh, uh, the CEO of a company called the Calendar Life Assurance Company. So, mm-hmm. so my mum actually got evacuated in uh, in the war to Canada um, on the Queen Mary. To so she spent the, the war in Canada and came back with a Canadian accent. And so he was he was the math side of things. And my dad's dad was a uh, uh, an entrepreneur, I suppose, without calling him that. That he was he was a market gardener. Um, he lost all his money in, in diamonds in South Africa. So he had a Definitely very, very <laughs> a, a rich and varied background. So I'm sort of an amalgam of all those, I suppose. And my mum and dad were just, just encouraging his parents and just wanted the best for me. So about 12 and a half when you've got a, a, a sort of seven-tier um, paper round, mum mm. uh, and dad are going, yeah, good on you, mate, just have a crack? 
Yeah, exactly. Just encouraging me, and and just I, 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 it wasn't it wasn't suggested. It wasn't normal, but nobody else was doing it. Mm. Okay, so when you're at private school and you're at a boys' school, mm. how do you meet the ladies? I never understood that. Do they have like organized well, dances this, this, or what? Yeah, do they well, do? This, well, this this is a bit like the um, you know this pre pre internet as well. So basically, there's there's this walk of shame. Or what do you? <laughs> So at th- 13, you'll go to a school disco and the St. Albans Girls School arrive because they're all girls. Yeah. And there's this chasm of the dance floor between you. And then somebody <laughs> has to be the first to go across to get rejected. So so I, I was often the f- one of the first to go across yeah. just, to, just to get that first no, to get just things going. Just for the going. team and yeah, make it happen. Just for the team. But yeah, so it was difficult. Um, but what, 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 one way we did uh, meet girls, though, is that we had cookery lessons at the girls' okay. school. And unfortunately, my brother... I understood the story but didn't understand the detail. So what you did, what we did was we went to the girls' school and uh, a mate of mine said, pretend you've got a lot of brothers and sisters because you get more food. <laughs> anyway, so I, I announced that I was one of four and we're, there's only two of us, but I was one of four. So I was bringing home six meals every Thursday. <laughs> so my brother was in the year below, but he only had one of five because he forgot the number. So they were very worried that we'd lost one. So, so yeah, so it was good. But, yeah, no, it, it was uh, – so we could meet, meet girls, but, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was different. So your brother, what's the age difference? 18 months. 18 months. And yeah. – as kids, did you get on? Did you fight? Did you argue? How did you go? Oh, no, we were pretty cool. I mean, very different. Uh, he's very musical, very creative, and I'm, I'm more sort of pragmatic and, and, and um, sort of mathematical, I suppose. But, um, yeah, really good. He's, he's a good mate of mine. I mean, we're, we're really different. Um, so good. was that the same, though, all through that childhood stage? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was his manager because he made records. So I, I, I started my first record company at 14. <laughs> <laughs> um, called No Brain Records. No Brain. And uh, the Innocent Vickers, which was his band, uh, um, did a cover of uh, Funky Town, and it was the first song to be recorded in uh, St. Albans Cathedral. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. And you'd arrange that. Uh... And then we got the T-shirt man um, to, to sponsor and pay for everything. So we didn't. There was no. There was no investment, and we got five hundred records. Love I've it. still got a few at home if you want. They're actually, they're actually quite valuable in. now. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going through high school now. Uh, high school's tough for boys. Um, even at an all-boys school, I think it's maybe a little bit tougher. But from what I hear, it's actually better for boys to go to an all-boys school because they learn better. And uh, from what, what I get told is the reason that's the case is because if a choir comes up, they'll actually go in it and they'll have a crack at stuff because there's no girls to get embarrassed in front of. Yeah, which I always found really interesting because my kids go to co-ed schools and mm. uh, and it's something that that does come up like they don't do the arty farty stuff because well, well they get embarrassed in front of the girls. Yeah, I I hear you, but I I think from a from a purely academic uh, viewpoint, an all boys school or single sex school does work. However, um, none of my kids are going to single sex school, and that's uh, because. You don't think it was the right thing for you, or uh, right thing for them? For them, so so I think you, I think there are some kids that work, mm-hmm. um, but I just want to. I just eat, each child, you know, children should got to be find the right school that fits them. Yeah, I agree, 100%. and not and not be afraid to move them if it doesn't work. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, what? How old are you when you graduate high school? Uh, Eighteen. And how many O levels did you get? Sixteen. Sixteen. <laughs> so obviously, we're in Australia. We don't do O levels. What no. does that mean? Uh, well, basically, most people get about three or four. Okay. So, um, so basically, that we, we, I've just got O level. I've got O level in Latin, so because I wanted a telly, um, and we've got, you know, I've got about four different sorts of maths O levels, and 
Yeah, it's it's just the, the it's the exams you take when you're 14, 15, 16. Okay. And then and then the, the, the high school exams. And then, uh, and then the A levels that you get three that you then go into further education. But um I don't know what it's changed all now. It's so what what was your plan then? So you sit there and go, okay, I'm gonna sit I've got sixteen A levels, I'm all good, then I now I need to get my A levels. Yeah, so same same school. You just same you school? carry on. You okay, carry on. so that's like year ten and then you're yeah, going into year yeah, twelve. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm with you. So with the year 12 stuff or the end of school stuff, the yeah. A-levels, so yeah. are you in your head thinking, I want to go to university? Are you wanting to sort of continue with your no-brain records? or No, well, I actually um, didn't do very well at all at my A-levels. Um, uh, I, I just uh, took, took the eye off the ball and thought I could do it very, very easily. And so I didn't gain the – I passed, but I didn't get the, the, you know, the, the stunning colours that I was expecting. But that actually redefined what I was thinking about. And so I created this idea. So I had a year off, um, partly to sort of um, as a self-imposed sort of maturity to, to make sure I enjoyed my, my vacation when I went to um, Trent. And then um, created a sponsorship with Kodak. So they actually paid me to go and so take how did that work? Talk me through that. Um, well, I just heard that they were looking for someone and I turned up and I said, sponsor me. And they did. <laughs> That was as simple as that. That easy. That easy. And I don't know why nobody else. I was there. There were were four sponsorships and then five people. So you know the odds are pretty good. And um, I just said, well, you know, what do you need from a? What do you want from me to to justify your sponsorship? And they told me. I said, I can do that. So yeah, ironic looking now at where you ended up, and the actual sponsorship was from Kodak. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, and, and I was at Kodak at the time where they actually got the opportunity to to rule the world in digital photography and missed it. So, mm. um, but no, that was great. So they, they put me all, all the departments in there. In so I, I did HR, I did production, I did all sorts of bits. And pieces. So you worked in there as well. Yeah. So 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 it was a, that's like what that's what I liked. It, yeah. So it was a four year degree, three years, first three years was six months uh, academia, six months work. Wow, it was really cool, like an apprenticeship. Yeah, it was really cool. And so you got to work across the entire piece. Yeah. And you still got other business interests off going on in the side? Uh, that, stage, that stage, no. Um, but um, I'd also um, been the main supplier for um, army equipment to my school. Um, so, because um, I was the, <laughs> the, the quartermaster, so I, was, I did a bit of bit of stuff with that. Yeah. So that was quite fun. I also worked for the uh, St. Albans Market. So, uh, in fact, one of my really good mates, he did the same job two years after me. And he's now a billionaire, and it's like it's amazing that the, the, you know he. I mean, he, he's miles more successful the entrepreneur than I am. But it's funny that we've got this parallel universe. You've been he did the same thing. Did the same things, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that was quite fun. And then um, yeah, so then I then I graduated, and um, and that was cool. And uh, then I got offered a place at Kodak um, the following February to go and do a, a job. And what was the job? And so they 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 had a, a graduate recruitment scheme, and I was going to be you know, um, put in the Kodak machine and, and being developed into management. And uh, we're still in the UK at this time? Yeah, still in the UK. So where was that based? That was in Hemel Hempstead. Okay. But, so I left school, I left uh, uh, Trent in August and I was meant to start in February. And so I went to see a mate and I said, I'm bored. I, I can't wait till February. Uh, what can you do? And he said, I'll come, come work with me. So I just went to work experience to this uh, company that sold office equipment. And... Um, I just watched what they were doing. I, th- I thought, this is bonkers. You're doing this all wrong. So there was a geographical area and there was a number of machines in the field. And at this stage, which is beautiful, these photocopies kept blowing up. So people leased them for five years, but they weren't, they were only going to last two and a half. 
So I just uh, said, okay, can I just uh, play with this one geographical area? He said, yep. So I took all the accounts and I worked out when the leases were signed, how much they're paying, what, where they were in the, in, the, in the payment cycle and then structured the most profitable way to change over the photocopiers in this geographical area by, by maths. And then I said, oh, can I run a project? Can I run this as a project for six months? They said, yes. And so that's what I did. So I then became a photocopier salesman. And so my, my, the way I did it was that in order to get my voice warm, warmed up, I would prospect for businesses before my appointment. So that would keep my funnel filled. And then I just went to all my customers and saying, oh, right, um, it's now time for you to change. This one's newer, better, faster, sign here. And so then I created this, um, this um, funnel of success in that, in that environment. And so then they're rolling over every two and a half years instead of every five years. Yeah. And what are you doing with the old ones? Are you selling them off? There was uh, there, there was repurposing. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, a lot of charities and stuff. So yeah, so my first, so I was meant to go and start work at Kodak, and these, these days they would have paid me on about thirty two thousand mm-hmm. pounds a year, which is good money, which is awesome. Money. Yeah, yeah. But the month before that, I earned twenty eight thousand pounds in one month. In the month. Yeah. Okay. And so, and but money has not never really been my 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 focus. Yeah. Um, but I just um, seem to be quite good at making um, making money. So we're now a photocopier salesman. Yeah. <clears throat> Your brother's at this time is... Uh, a pop star. A pop star. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, are you still managing him? No, 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 he's, he's gone on. He, he's he, moved he, on. He's, he's now with, uh, he's with Soft Cell, so the Soft Cell management team. Uh, okay. And he was, signed, he was signed by Virgin at that stage. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And so you're... Out and about, selling the photocopies, doing your business, making going yeah, well. Yeah. What makes you stop doing that? You're making twenty hundred a month. One, one of my worst decisions I ever. Well, one, one, it's an interesting decision. So, I got uh, approached by my managing directors to say, right, there's a new thing coming in called mobile phones, and uh, we want we've got the opportunity to um, start um, a warehouse business called Carphone Warehouse, and <laughs> we want you to be involved in it. And I went, no. Nah. That won't work. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that hurt. Yeah, hurt. Hurt. <laughs> hurt a lot. So anyway, so uh, the car phone warehouse, obviously being one of the world's, world's largest, largest <laughs> mobile phone companies. companies yeah. Mm. So I, I, I walked away from that one, um, and I because I, I I sort of got to a point. I was, I was twenty six at the time, and I I thought right, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and you know, I I, I basically said, what, what am I doing next? I, I I got the I got the machine working really well. I yeah. I. I I got people working for me under my formula, um, and it was just working really, really well. And I was bored, so that's why the the, work, the, the phone thing probably would have been quite a good idea. But anyway. twenty six, are we still single, or have we met? Oh yeah, no, I, I was, I was with, I was in a relationship, yeah, okay. so, so with Hillary, so and she was awesome. But um, I just needed something. I just had this bug that I had to travel. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went for that meeting, and, and and he was, and we went to this amazing restaurant opposite. In Stamford Bridge, it's called the Blue Elephant. It's Blue a Elephant. beautiful yeah. restaurant. It's a Thai restaurant. It's got a waterfall inside. Oh. Absolutely brilliant. We had this, because um, I was a yuppie at the time, so we had this uh, <laughs> very swanky Thai meal. And he was trying to tell me, go and work for the car phone warehouse. And not only did I turn it down, I decided I'm going to leave the uh, photocopy company. I'm going to Thailand because the food must be this good. <laughs> so I walked out of there instead of walking straight into a phone business. I walked into a travel agent, booked a ticket and went to Thailand. So I got a one-way ticket to Thailand, 
then to Australia on your own, or do you, on was my, Hillary on my own? Idea? So I said, Hillary, I, I need to do this. I, this is this is something I need to do. Yeah, she said that's not on my agenda. So we had, you know, we that was fine. I mean, it was it was it was the right thing to do. So then I um, left there and um, came to Thailand for a few months, then got to Australia, and then I decided when I was in Australia to um, follow the English cricket team around As you do. Australia. So that's what I did, and so I saw it's 1991, saw all there games and then I got back to a place called Margaret River in WA and just sat there and thought right now what we're going to do what's next what's next so we came up with this plan to circumnavigate Australia as slowly as we could who's we um so we I was at um, a place called Vas Felix which is uh, the Holmes Court um, winery in uh, Margaret River and a couple of friends were going on a travel and I sort of English friends English friends yeah, yeah. So, I, so I said to them right well why don't we just just but travel but do it differently? So I, I said I'm not I'm not in a hurry to work. They were I wasn't. So I basically just said right. Well, let's just just take a couple of years of just just meandering. So that's what we did. So we had a meander of Australia. Yeah. And which way did you go, left or right? Well, we started in Margaret River. So the first thing we did is we obviously needed a a mascot. Um. So. <laughs> so obviously. obviously so what did we get? And so over a couple of beers, we decided to steal a garden gnome. Okay. So we stole a garden gnome called Nobby. Nobby. Um, and we, we the I'm not a very good thief, but I, um, I, um, our escape car was a um, land cruiser, diesel land cruiser, <laughs> which needed glowing <laughs> and made a hell of a noise. So okay. it wasn't the ideal a getaway nice car. Nice, quiet getaway car. Nice, nice quiet getaway car. <laughs> so that was three streets away. <laughs> So we we cased the joint. We worked out where Nobby was. So I, like, I had a long coat on. I don't know why, but I had a long coat on to get <laughs> anyway, for, for sneaking under reason. So anyway, so there is this beautifully manicured lawn, the Yates family, number 17, Coronation Street, Margaret River. <laughs> and I walked in and there was the gnome. There were two gnomes, Nobby and the other one, which we called Nigel. And uh, so I lifted Nobby up. Now, not knowing, it's a bit windy in uh, Margaret River. The, the gnome had a stake that was longer than the gnome underneath it. Oh, dear. So luckily I had a long coat. So there I was <laughs> almost doing a sort of, you know, Jake the Pate three-legged <laughs> escape to the, the glowing land cruisers. So anyway, so we got that. So we took the gnome with us. We sheared off the, sheared off the stake and yeah. he came around with us. Um, and so we went in a convoy around Australia. Nice. And uh, it was brilliant. So we, we and the idea was that we were going to send a, a postcard of the gnome to Margaret River every week uh, to the or, house to the well to the house, and then just to keep them informed of the travels. And the idea was to eventually send him back. And did Nobby ever make it home? Uh, Nobby had an amazing adventure. So we learnt in Perth um, that the postcards we were sending were then being published in the local paper every week. <laughs> oh, really? So then, then that was all we did. So the, our entire week was make sure we had a Nobby story or Nobby <laughs> too. So Nobby went scuba diving. Nobby went sunbathing. Nobby went on aeroplanes. Nobby went um, <laughs> undersea. So every time we told the story of Nobby the Nome, we had to promise the people, you must send Nobby a Christmas card to 17 Coronation Street. He will be at home for Christmas. <laughs> and so he's, we circumnavigated to go to the films. We he appeared in um, the Canberra Times and the cartoon. So we met a, a, a son of a guy called Pryor, who was a cartoonist. Yep. So Nobby the Nome, I've got, I've got one of the cartoons. Nobby the Nome's in the cartoon, <laughs> and we just, we just, we just did everything we could with Nobby the Nome. So, um, what a great way to do something. We were in Sydney eventually. Uh, so the, the rules, of, the rules of the trip were: we no, no faster than eighty k's an hour, mm-hmm. no more than two hours a day, and throw away our watches. So we lived off the uh, off, off, off the, the sun. Off the sun. 
And so what happened was uh, um, people came on convoy and had to leave because we were going too slowly. <laughs> so we were at Steep Point uh, for a month. Yeah. Uh, now, if you've ever been to Steep Point, it's the most westerly tip of Australia. There's nothing there. There's rocks. And so we just sat there and we thought, oh, we better go. So we all packed up and we drove seven kilometres down the road. And <laughs> that'll do. Um, and we stayed there for a week. So wow. it took us nine and a half months to get to WA. That's so amazing. pretty cool. And then luckily, um, and I'm, I apologise to my mother, but um, we um, we discovered my one of the people I was travelling with broke both his heels uh, on a leaving do we had. And so we rang up the immigration department and said, look, we've gone on this wonderful tour, but we, um, Rob's broken his heels. What we can do? We, we're travelling together. Send us your passports. And they gave us an extra year's stamp for a visa. <laughs> Because he got right. broken heels. Because he broken heels. So that yeah. was good. So we got to Darwin and we thought, oh, no, the visas are running out. So we went round nightclubs and backpackers looking for people with broken limbs. Um, we had photos with them. Yeah. And then we sent the pictures to immigration. <laughs> Dear immigration, you won't believe it. <laughs> Another year. Really? Yeah, so I've got two years on it. And just a warning, don't do <laughs> this. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> don't break things on purpose. Don't, Stay don't, in this country. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they, were, they generally were broken. We just yeah. happened to befriend them. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was a bit of fun. But And during this time, you're still sending Nobby postcards? Yeah, Nobby postcards every week. Yeah, or, and, or more than once a week. And, and uh, we were doing radio interviews. We were doing all sorts of stuff. We were with, really, with really pimping. Yeah. And did Nobby make it home? Nobby made it home. So we are in Sydney and... Uh, um, we went to the column eight, which was on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. And the first thing is that Nobby, Nobby the gnome needs to lift home to Margaret River. We've promised he's coming home, but we're in Sydney. Yeah. And on the second day, the, on uh, through the column, they said, "Nobby, where are you? We found someone to take you." Oh, really? And so we we got a, a Virgin Australia hostess who was going back home to England to deliver Nobby the gnome back to Margaret River. So we we arranged to get it. He was delivered to the newspaper. Uh, with our story, because we've been anonymous the whole way through. Yeah, so yeah. the Christmas edition of 1992, Margaret River Mail, was not the name of the story. And as we, we took up the page and turned through with photos of the whole thing. <laughs> and he got 247 Christmas cards and a surrogate child from Newcastle. To the... Um, to, the to Margaret River. To yeah. Margaret River. Yeah. And what, did you ever speak to the um, original owner? Yeah, they wanted to come. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if they're still there. Everybody's called Kim in Margaret River. So Kim Yates and his family, but they ran the local sort of hardware store. And yeah. Yeah, no, and they were just stoked that we got back. I don't know where they are now, but. Isn't that amazing? One, one they, like, they rocked out one morning going, shit, it was Nobby's one. gone. Where's Nobby gone? <laughs> yeah, and the, then all of a sudden they start yeah. getting postcards well, from Nobby. Basically like a kidnap letter. You know, so <laughs> the first one, it was the, uh, the Pinnacles, which is like um, anthills in, in, in Mar- uh, near, near Perth. And yeah, there you go. Picture Nobby. <laughs> Great that's fun. sensational. Yeah. So that's ninety two. Yeah, and then we're st- are we starting to run out of money yet? No, no, because I I bought and sold cars on the way around. Yeah, so I I, I realised that a backpacker uh, is not is a, is an ideal um, person to buy a car from if they've got a deadline of jumping on an aeroplane. Okay. So I just offered a hundred dollars and lift the airport. So um, yeah, I, I probably bought about fifty cars. Or, okay. And then um, sold them to the backpackers who just were arriving at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> good that, business. That was good fun. And I, I worked in I worked in the uh, in a petrol station um in Broome just for fun. Yeah. And uh, also I, I ran one in Woolloomooloo as well. Just uh, just just and had awesome time running a petrol station. 
um, and just making up games and you know <laughs> everybody where walk you know, if you know, everybody bought Evian water one week because uh, I was a backpack and you got a free towel if you bought a case so I bought three cases <laughs> three new towels and I had to move all this water <laughs> it's good fun I love it yeah so we've finished our tour yeah what's the what's the sort of end of the tour what 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 makes it go actually boys and girls probably got to go and do something <laughs> with my life now um well yeah well, that I mean, never really happened no it doesn't it's never gonna happen um so basically um immigration really my my i i wanted i needed to come to, i went to new zealand to reinstate my visa um and then they actually said oh no you can't do that because <laughs> i only had a one-way trip so I, I i couldn't get back into australia so i had to go to new zealand um and um i was meant to be meeting up with a girl called jenny um a mate of mine's sister and uh, but because I got held up at immigration, I was running late. So I flew into Auckland. Said, "Where's Jenny? She's in Christchurch." Said the Kiwi Experience. So I flew from Auckland to Christchurch, and there were three places Jenny could be. So I put up a note in these three backpack hotels. <laughs> Jenny, meet me at Where's the Irish Bar. And in comes Jenny at eight o'clock. Wrong Jenny. <laughs> anyway, I had a great night with the new Jenny, my new mate. Rang up Kiwi Experience again. Where's she? She's in Milford Sound. So I then flew to Queenstown. So I'd basically in, in four days, I've missed half of, half of New Zealand. Ended up in Queenstown. <laughs> On a mission to find Jenny. On a mission to find Jenny. I, I found Jenny. I'm like, oh, pretty cool here. So I stayed in Queenstown. Okay. So I just stayed in Queenstown. And then um, oh, I thought oh, I'd better have a job. So um, um, no, so I rang up the immigration department. I said, oh, I'm, I'm 27 I would like a resident a visa, please. Can I have a work visa? And they said no. Yeah, so, but me being me, I said, okay. Well, can I have residency? I said, of course you can. <laughs> um, if you if you join the British Isles Club of Wellington, yeah. you prove your age, you get a job, um, you can you can stay. Oh, great! Thank you very much. So then I thought, right, I need a job. And so what can I do? I, not a lot. So um, I decided I could um, sell newspaper advertising. Okay, and. Um, Mountain Sea newspaper, they, they employ people um, every, they have an intake in August. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, this was February. So I went in. Oops. Oops. Wrong day. So <laughs> I went on the Monday and knocked on the door and said, uh, I've come about the job. And they said, oh, no, no, we're not employing to August. And I said, oh, thanks very much. And I walked away. And then I went back in on Tuesday and I said, I'll come about that job. I said, no, no, we're not employing. Oh, who's the person who makes that decision? And so Janice on the reception said, oh, that's... Uh, that's Frank Marlin. So I think right, and walked away. The Frank, old school Daily Mail journo. Yeah, um, he, Mountain Scene. He just wanted it to be the most controversial local paper you ever seen. <laughs> anyway, Wednesday, I waited for Janice to go out to lunch, and I walked in and said, "I've come to see Frank Marvin." I walked into the office and I said, "Look, I've never done this before, but I can sell. Um, if you can um, teach me how to draw an advert, I will make some adverts for you, um, and I'll, I'll and on a purely commission basis." Um, I will, you know, make some money. I said, sure. When do you want to start? I said, now. I said, okay. There's your desk. So Janice comes back from lunch and she says, uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, I'll start that job. <laughs> You're coming out for dinner, Janice? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, and then they taught me how to draw adverts and and then just, and then I, and again, it's down to systems. I, I, I um, they did, you know, every week they do um, adverts in the local paper and I thought, well, let's do a feature. And it was during the building boom. So I designed this thing called the Building Construction Manual. Mm-hmm. And I created a 64-page insert into a local paper that usually are 24 pages long. So the poor old paper boys was ahead. <laughs> and I just made the biggest single um, 
issue they'd ever done. And obviously sold the advertising. And in sold that, the advertising. Right? Yeah, so it's just, it's, it, 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 I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I enjoy the, the process of selling. Mm. I, enjoy, I enjoy people, but I enjoy the process of selling as well. So that was good fun. And so then you got your residency because now you've got, got a job. Residency. Yeah, I got a job and got a residency. Oh, and they knew it. And, right? and they knew it as well. So, yeah. So, then I, so now I'm a Kiwi, proud Kiwi. Proud Kiwi. Proud Kiwi. So Kiwi versus England in rugby. English. Okay. Proud yeah. Kiwi that still supports England. Yeah, no, no. Proud Kiwi. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will not. I've got, Kiwi I've, I've Australia? Got yeah. Yeah. Kiwi. <laughs> proud Kiwi. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So we're working at the uh, newspaper. Yeah. And we're still single at this stage or are we dating? What are we doing? Uh, yeah. No, no, I had a girlfriend. I had a, had a girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. You met her in New Zealand? Yeah. So, but, but, because I kept moving around, you know, it's it very hard. It's very hard. But no, I, I met, I met, um, yeah, I met Susie in, in while I was at, you know, at the paper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how long did you uh, last at the paper? Um, about a year. So what happened was that I want uh, Queenstown's a great place to ski. So I tried to work out how to do a to, to ski, and um, created this thing called the Word. And there was an eight-page insert aimed at targeted at the winter uh, winter market. And so I went around and got all the advertisers to, to do it. I said, look, really important consistent message for the entire season so that they basically ran the same advert every week for eight weeks yeah so i didn't have to do any work <laughs> they all pay I had for to eight do times. so they pay it. for it eight times i just go in on tuesday with my ski gear pick up a check and go skiing so <laughs> it was great for me but the the it, it was the culture of the business threatened a bit so i after that i thought right i've got to find something else so i i've always had a a, a bit of a a, a a warped view of the world and if if i see an opportunity that I, I believe in, I go for it. So yes. um, I was, uh, a friend of mine um, was just about to open a second restaurant in Queenstown. And um, and we, and these were the days where wine came in boxes. So we had to go and d- design her wine list by going on a drinking tour. Not so we, we were writing notes. We forgot to spit it out, which is a bit of a problem. But we were <laughs> writing notes in this book. And one of the questions was, how did you make your money? So she said, well, I arrived as a backpacker at this and worked at nights at the Mexican restaurant. And at days, I took pictures of the TSS Ernst Law, which is a, a, a 19, it's, it was built the same year as the Titanic, and tourists go out in it. When mm-hmm. they came back, she handed them a picture with, with them by the, by the boat. And I said, okay. And she said, yeah, in the first year, I bought the restaurant. And I thought, oh, okay, there's money in photos. Yeah. And so over that night, we designed, I said this idea of, right, well, we'll take the picture of people in the gondola in Queenstown, and then while they're um, going up for dinner, I whiz around to the chemist, make the films, and come back and deliver. And because it was it was that whole speed of service that nobody else got, yeah. so we the one hour process, the one hour process, yeah, well, yeah which were, we made it about twenty seven minutes because we could you know, <laughs> speed it up. They were still wet. That's right. So yeah, so uh, so I had this idea, and then on Monday I went in and the, my John sitting next to me at the office. I said, right, I've got this idea, but I I know I need. The, a partner i'm not i'm not i'm a great entrepreneur but i'm not a finisher so mm-hmm. i know i need someone to dot the i's across the t's and that's fine he said yeah well, let's do it and then we rang up the skyline and said we've got a great idea can we come and talk to you about this idea we're going to take photos and then the ceo he just said yeah come tomorrow like, okay right so we came tomorrow so we were walking along and i said john we haven't got a name and this this was a two minute walk <laughs> between our office and he said he said what about magic moments and i said no i think that's a song what about magic memories yes that will do and we walked in and said, hi, we're from Magic Memories. So that, that was the entire brainstorm. <laughs> That's where it name. started. So anyway, so we're sitting in there and we said, right, oh, what's happening? We, uh, we're going to take your photos. You can get a commission. How much commission? 
done, wrote the wrote the agreement back in an envelope, everything fine. I said, oh, great. Oh, by the way, we've got the All Blacks coming in on Friday. Can you um, photograph them? He said, yeah, sure, no problem at all. We said, we walked out. I looked at John, have you got a camera? No, nor have I. <laughs> you take photos? Yeah, I don't know. So there was a duty-free shot, which I won't mention, um, that um, um, lent us a camera uh, under the proviso, we don't drop it and don't scratch it. Yeah. And uh, a fisheye lens. And these were days of uh, film. And so we went to the went to uh, take the photographs of the All Blacks up the gondola. We took 127 photos, of which 121 of them were absolutely <laughs> terrible. Out of focus, thumbs, whatever. But this one photo with a, taken with a fisheye lens had the entire All Black team and the Skyline Enterprises logo perfectly positioned. Yeah. So we printed that one out, took it back to the CEO the next day and said, look, yeah, this is an example of our work. <laughs> and we got the gig. Wow. Yeah. And that's where it started. That's where it started, yeah. So then obviously you're doing commission-only stuff because you uh, – did you work out during that period that the best idea was to – this is, I suppose this is pre-digital, isn't it? No, oh, yeah, it's pre-digital, yeah. So you had to – how many people didn't buy the photos? Oh, uh, Most of them didn't. Most of them didn't, but but it doesn't matter. You know, it's a numbers game. So so what? But the, the our point of difference was we wanted to tell a story and we wanted to market the attraction. So that was it, and and we wanted to make it a simple situation for the customer. So um, we they, they did in effect left the attraction before we sold them. So it's mm-hmm. additional revenue. Um, we we put a, a folder in it. Um, and ironically, when you were talking about the introduction today, um, my final line was it. It's a magic memory okay. on, on the introduction to the, the product. And so uh, we didn't have any money. So um, I decided to um, open a business with a dollar. So we've got a dollar. The startup capital management is a dollar. And then I rang up American Express and said, I'm going to put your brand into every single person who comes to the gondola. And he said, oh, great. I'll put it to a committee and uh, we'll let me know in three months. He said, no, no, I need the money today. And so I got $5,000 off American Express that, that day. day. To be the to be the sponsor brand of the back of the folder, yeah. And then I rang up Agfa and I said, "What do you do with out-of-date film?" And they said, "Well, we throw them away." I said, "Well, do they still work?" He said, "Oh yeah, as long as you keep them cold, they're good for another six months." I said, "Okay, I'll buy a fridge. Can you fill it with Agfa film?" And so they said, "Yes," and they gave ten grand as well. So that was that was the front page. And so the seed capital was fifteen thousand dollars from two phone calls, and that's how we started. Amazing. And then. When did you realize that actually we're on a really good thing? Day one? Yeah. Day one. I mean, it, it is it, new. Yeah. I mean, we were, set, we were selling a product that costs us 24 cents for 12 bucks. So, obviously, being the man of numbers that you are, there's a margin. There's a margin. But are you then thinking straight away, global, actually, not just gondola? Why don't we now go up to the ski field? Why don't we go to the theme park? What yeah. do, how'd that work? Um, well, basically, people just bombarded us they saw the service we were doing the sort saw, saw, saw what we believed in and then, then it just grew so it grew first of all in new zealand we ran out customers um then then i took it over to australia um we grew australia um and then i took over the uk and then we grew grew uk so yeah it's so it it, it, it it's, it's op- operating a, a chain of chain of sort of um shops basically that um do the same thing and so then you got a patentable repeatable process across the globe yeah. So when did you go, okay, that's it, that's enough for me, well, let's bring people in to run this because I've had enough, or did you just grow to that point? Um, I think, and it's quite, it's quite a, 
a tricky one for a lot of entrepreneurs to think is I immediately tried to find people better than me to do things I couldn't yeah. do. Even even down to when we started the business, my attitude was, John, I can't do that, you do it. Um, and so with that, we created our own board. We got, you know, we, we employed people that were better than us. So it didn't matter if we were there or not. So I think that's, that's a sort of a point of difference. And it got to the stage where, where I was living on an airplane and it, it I mean, I, this was you know, 20 years later, but I was, my last year of work, I spent 160 days on an airplane. So it's a long time, it, it's a it? long time. So, but it, but it was growing the business globally. So that's what it was needed. But then I decided that's enough. So, you know, it was, uh, it was the right thing for me to do to, to stop pushing the envelope. And, and since then, you know, we've, we've, uh, acquired a couple of companies and we now, um, take millions of photos every year and turn over over a hundred million us dollars. So, yeah, it's so it's gone from your initial investment of zero, one dollar, <laughs> <$1. $1, laughs> sorry, the dollar, yeah. to a company that's now worth over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> does that make you proud, or is that does it make you feel? Oh, it's just something that we done. Well, yeah, I mean, it, is proud the word? I, I, I'm surprised. Um, I think the, I think what we did is we created an, an environment where people could enjoy. Um, working with us and for us and you know, created a culture that's, that, that I believe in. Um, I think, you know, we've got, as you, one of, the, one of the things that dawned on us, and it was quite early on, is there are, you know, 500 people relying on me to feed them. Yeah. And it, and it, and it does put um, your, your, your skill set and your focus, uh, it does get redefined by that. Um, but the, once you take that on board, it's actually quite fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and no, I, I, I always, I, I, I never put a ceiling on where we could go, and so it, it is what we did, and it, it just seemed to be a continual journey. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just gave it a crack. And obviously, you had ups and downs through the whole. Oh yeah, I mean, the whole yeah, way. Yeah, it was never an easy ride. No, no, but it, it sort of. It, well, I think one of the best decisions we ever made was uh, we got taken to court um, by someone who just wanted to shut our business down. Um, because we employed someone who he employed, and he suggested that we use a line of his code in our in our process when we went digital. Um, and I don't, I mean, you know, we may or may not have done. I don't. It wasn't a deliberate. We just employed a bloke to do a job. So we could either fight him in court, or say, "Oops, sorry, here's a check." And we decided to do that. We said, "Look, we're not going to fight. We may or may not have mistake. It wasn't deliberate. Here we go." And we didn't spend another second worrying about that negativity but what we did do is said right what we've just saved by doing this the money we've saved will now reinvest in ourselves even better so we've actually any any time we get knocked we actually invest to make us better not worry about our knockers the thing i love about what you do and the way your head works when you say us you mean the team yeah. and it's always it probably goes back to the school days again mm. is the fact that you're making the team better so you don't make that mistake again. Yeah. Because one of the things that, that I really love about the way you do business is the fact of you're like me. You're always not the smartest person in the room because you've surrounded yourself with good, smart people mm. that do what they actually do. And mm. we had a, an interesting conversation yesterday about the startup process and how that works and the fact that during that process, different people need to be involved. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think learning from – my experience is, and I'm sure you're the same, is that during that process, a lot of people try and do everything mm. and that's why they fail mm. because they actually think, oh, geez, I shouldn't get that guy and that might cost me a bit of money. But the amount that actually 
cost them by not doing it is probably tenfold, like you've mm. just said, by mm. getting rid of that negativity. Mm. Is that something you think that during that, obviously you, you guys have grown and there's 4,000 staff or whatever at the moment. Is that something during that period that you think was one of your master strokes, if you like, by getting those right people in the right places? Um, or didn't th- you do that? No, we did. I, I think I think the better people we got, the faster we grew, the better we were. Um, yeah, we make mistakes, of course, but um, the idea is to to empower people to make you better. Yeah, um, and I'm a great believer in in you know I, I want to grow people within my business to leave my business, but while they're with me, they're growing they're growing for my benefit as well as theirs, mm-hmm. and and to put them forward. And it, and I think it, and it's not necessarily an entrepreneurial trait. I mean, when I do business coaching, I often ask people, you know, if I gave, what would you do if you had one more hour in a week? And then they tell me, and this is probably going to cost me thousands of dollars of coaching. And I just say, <laughs> "Well, go and do it." Yeah, so, exactly. but the so the idea is that you know if you can if you can get an, you know to amplify your effort by somebody else's talent, use it. One of the other things we haven't touched on yet, and I know it's a it's a subject that that's very close and personal, is the ladies. Mm. So during this process as an entrepreneur, I'm going to approach this a different way, right? Because mm. I know you've been married a number of times. Mm. Do you think that? looking back on everything you've done and achieved during this process, that the way you went about actually this is the business, that's what I'm concentrating on, affected those those relationships? Yeah, I, oh, definitely. I think that um, I, uh, I'm i not as good as a husband as I am as an entrepreneur. Okay. And so so I, when I, I – my particularly the formative stage of Magic Memories, I was working a lot. Yeah. I mean, this is um, – you know, we we took our first photo at nine o'clock in the morning, our last one at midnight. Um, you know, there's there wasn't a lot of time or anything else. I mean, the first I w- when I started the business, I worked sixty eight days straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, there's hard there's hard yards there. Um, so what what we actually did is I I stopped working at the newspaper and John carried on, and we pulled our resources between him working at the newspaper. Um, he was a ski tuner. I sold advertising for a um, an in flight magazine. And we started the business, so okay. there was a lot going on. So that that was a, that was a stress, and um, I don't know. Perhaps I'm just uh, maybe I'm not very good at picking my uh, my 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 life partners. Yeah, but I think I've changed now. I think that's I've, good. I've, I've, You've I've, got I've, a great I've, one. Yeah, I've got a great one. <laughs> really no, that's interesting because I had this conversation with my wife last night. And I have it very often, and she sort of comes out and goes, "You're doing too much. You need to slow down." And it's like my head doesn't slow down, so I can't slow down. But at the same time, is that I have a one or two days a week that's family day. That's it. Turn mm. my phone off. That's what we do. Mm. And what I always find starts creeping in is actually I just got to wait, make one call or go to one meeting or mm. do that during that family time. Mm. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs and for people for their own mental health is not to work 68 days oh, yeah, straight. Absolutely. Is not to work 72 hours a day. It's mm. like it's one of those sort of things. And I think that does have an effect on relationships. And whether you pick the good ones or the bad ones, that that's that's an entirely different story. Yeah. It just comes down to from the entrepreneurial point of view is that we need to start listening. We need to have someone that, that talks to us that way. Absolutely. And 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 what ha- what does happen is that um you know, we I'm not, not as an excuse, but we were in tourism, so Christmas was in May, in, yeah, in my house. So you know, the whole the whole being is very very changed because of it. But yeah, no, it's it's, it's life balance. But you know, I also believe as an entrepreneur, you don't stop thinking about your business. So, of course, you know that you've got to, You've got to be able to sort of compartmentalize that situation. But I'm a great believer in taking mentorship and um, helping you in in all of life, in all aspects of life, and so. If as an entrepreneur you need someone to say, well, hang on, this is how you work on your, your relationships, that's what we do. 
So you've got lots of kids. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you look after lots I'll of kids. Let's, let's go that way. Yeah, yeah. What do you teach them about business? Do you, do you find um, that they're business-minded, non-business-minded? Do you tell them you should go to university? Where, how do you deal with that whole that whole piece? Is it education or is it going to get jobs? What do you do there? I think it's uh, courses for horses. I mean, the, the uh, I my... My old, uh, my, one of my children is a, uh, a skier and he travels the world skiing mm-hmm. and he's been homeschooled since he's 15. So um, he's now thinking of going into academia, but uh, as part of sports science, but the psychology of sport, because that's what he's doing. That's what he does, yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's best fit for him. Uh, the kids are home at the moment. We, you know, one went on an entrepreneur's course last week just to, to, to give her a bit of a... Uh, opening to it um we've come up with a I've, I've, i'm i'm founding a new business and uh, the eight-year-old drove drew the logo yesterday yeah. so you know they, 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 they get involved in it but i'm teaching them it's a game i think it's teaching them it's a life school it's not the only way to earn money but it's the way i've chosen and if they want to do if they want to do it i'm i'm open and, and here to help it's um it's a tough one though isn't it yeah, yeah. i'm not going to buy them a business no so and and that's the thing it, it's funny because um Obviously, when you get successful, people go, oh, your kids are going to be so lucky in the future. They'll never have to work. Actually, my kids are going to work. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to earn every single cent they make. It's, it's like Warren Buffett. He's, you know, he's, he's giving it away rather than giving it to kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 I believe that, you know, that um, I think, I can't remember, there's an adage that the first generation make it and, and you know, the second generation spend it. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's not, I believe, healthy. To just spoon feed the kids. I mean, you've, you've just got you've just got to make them find their own way. You know, we can we can soften the blow, but you know, as the, if they achieve under their own merit, then absolutely, you know, celebrate that. But you know, I'm not going to, you know, to deliver them what they need in in a material sense. I'd rather steer them mentally than materially. Love it, absolutely love it, mate. I love hearing your story. Well, the way I love to finish these podcasts, I always finish with the same questions. So. I need your help on these ones, okay? Okay. What's your greatest achievement in life? My kids. Person or the people who have had the most influence on your life? Uh, my grandfather, um, who was uh, the um, actuary, um, and it, you know. And did he, you know him? Oh, absolutely. Did you spend a lot of time with him? Absolutely. So yeah, he took me. But he he was my start, my love for cricket. So he took me in his caravan to Essex, and he because of him I was an MCC member. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was he was a he was an amazing guy, but if you if you wanted to waste half an hour asking about his grandkids. So oh, really? I, yeah. I, I, I I treasure that. Favorite food? Um scallops. Hmm. Not potato scallops, actual scallops. No scallops, scallops. No, okay. I just sort of discovered them in Australia and it just reminds me of why I'm here. Favorite song? Um Perfect Day by Lou Reed. Favorite place in the world? Wherever I am. Oh, bang. Love it. What's next for Stuart Norris? I don't know. It changes most days. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the new business you're starting? Tell us about that. Um, so, Atherton Wells is a new business I'm starting, which is basically using my uh, entrepreneurial ideas to um, try and um, put a bit of uh, action into the recruitment industry. And I, I think that, you know, over, over years, I've employed 10,000 people and I think I've got some some ideas about how we can best fit um, um, 
employers with potential candidates and, and recruit some really good relationships. Love it. I love the fact that you're also doing a bit of talent management and so because by managing people and telling their story, I think, what would you call it? A corporate storyteller? Cor- corporate storyteller, yeah. So, I, I mean, love I, it. Yeah, well, I mean, tell us about that. Well, I can't remember. Oh, we were we were mentoring some uh, Aboriginal business people and uh, and just 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 trying to trying to define um, you know the way in which people operate in a corporate level and you know, everybody I believe would need to be a corporate storyteller and to best fit um, their their ideas with with other people and you know we're we're all telling we're, we're sitting here telling stories and and that's the way life is and um, I don't I don't know how my story ends but I'm just telling it as I go. I love it. Mate, well, you're a very good friend of mine and as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate podcasts.